because he's coming back, and I don't want anybody in here to miss it. This is why this book is important. This is why it's also good for you to have an opinion, not a fact on it. And let me tell you why I say opinion versus fact. Here's the problem, and here's the reason why Israel missed it. Meekness, humility. They felt like they knew the scriptures. They literally, it's like a bishop came up in here and told me his life story. And I said, no, bishop, first of all, I mean, he's older than me, right? I'm not saying he's old. I'm just saying he's older than me, right? (laughs) It's like if he told me his life story, and I'm like, no, you're wrong. When you were five years old, that's not what you did. That's not what you said. When you were 10 years old, I wasn't around when he was that old. Like, how can I tell Bishop what he said? And Israel was pretty much saying, Christ is, Christ is here, right? And they're pretty much saying, no, God, that's not what you said. I know your word better than you do. And here's my other issue with eschatology and eschatologists, people who know this book, is that, and not all of them, I'm not, I'm not saying everyone that studies eschatology is like this, just some of the people that I've come across, they will tell you straight up, this is how the world's going to end, or this is how it's going to do it, plus or minus this. Like they, like, they have the facts, they're laying it out for you, and let me tell you, there are some facts that are undeniable in this book, all right? There's also some things that are very mysterious. And they will tell you like it's fact. And if you're not studied up, you're just going to go with it. You're just going to roll with it. But when you approach it humbly and you search the scriptures humbly, as mysterious as it is, as crazy as it is, I mean, we sang it today. He's a way maker. And the reason why you need to know these signs, the reasons why you need to understand what this book says and come at it with a humble heart and be meek about it, is so when that the signs are here, you're like, oh my goodness, that is it. Let me tell you another exercise that I, I, you know, if you guys have the time, I want you guys to try this. Go read the prophecies of Isaiah, the prophecies in, in Jeremiah, the prophecies in Genesis about the coming of Christ, the, the first coming, right, when he came to, uh, to die on the cross for us. And yes, you guys know, you know that whole story. You guys are lucky enough to have the whole picture. But go read just those prophecies and try and guess how Jesus fulfilled them. Because let me tell you, some of them he fulfilled, and like he straight up says it when he's on earth, I did this so that I could fulfill this prophecy, right? And some of them he didn't say that. And there were some prophecies he fulfilled that I had no idea he did. Like, I was, man, he fulfilled that? How did he even remember to fulfill just that tiny little detail? But without knowing those things, go read Isaiah and see if you can figure out how Jesus is going to fulfill all these prophecies. And try and estimate, try and guess, and try and come up with a way how he's going to do it. And then go read the story of Jesus again, and then be humbled at the fact that you couldn't guess it perfectly to the detail. And you're like, oh, wow, that's how he did it. We should be blessed that we have a God that is telling us there is a way. I mean, we said waymaker. I'm going to make it like an amendment here real quick. The way has been made, right? And we have been blessed with a God that gave us his word from beginning all the way to the end, the end. And we are allowed to study that word. Why would we not read it? Like, why would we say our way maker, the way has been made, our amazing God, the creator, who knows beginning and end, and then not read about the end? And on top of that, the ones who, like, want to know about the end, like, 
they're really just kind of like Googling it because they're afraid that this is just too complicated. It's not. It's amazing. And yes, it is, it is complicated. I will say that. But it, it's not complex in the fact that you approach God's word the same way you always do. Um, I'm doing a study with the youth, and um, I, I, I'm calling it Sunday School. That's the name of the study. Uh, a lot of the youth, they, you know, some of them didn't grow up in the church, or some of them didn't go to Sunday school, and you know, they really don't know that some of the stories in the Bible that are really cool stories about Esther, some really cool stuff in, in Genesis, and you know, and some of them don't even have the chronology all set up right. You know, some people think like they don't even know when Esther happened; they just know it's a, it's a story, right? So I'm going, I'm going through the chronology with them all the way from Genesis, and I'm taking it all the way to Revelation. And while I'm prepping this, I mean, this has been the most humbling study ever. I'm setting up a timeline, and when I'm done with it, I can't wait to share it with you guys. It is the coolest thing ever. And you see all these overlapping events all the way to Revelation. And when I'm done with this graph, I'm like, it is, it is crazy. It blew my mind. And you're going to tell me there's not a creator? And let me tell you why this timeline is also important. Here, here's, here's, here's what's funny about humanity. They are so curious about what happened way in the past and about what's going to happen way in the future. Whether you're a Christian or you're a scientist, atheist, whatever you believe, they, they want to know exactly their origins and exactly where they're going. There is something in us when we were created, in our soul, that desires for the understanding of our source, our origin. And there's also something that we have inside of us that wants to know exactly where we are going let me tell you, your origin, your future, your present, all that is in the same place in Christ. Everyone in science will tell you what the, you know, their authority on the past and how they think the future is going to end. Same thing with the Bible. And um, I say all this to kind of bring things into a picture of how important this word is because sometimes we don't, we don't realize it. And I'm not going to give you my opinion uh, today on, you know, what I think, where I think things line up and all that stuff, um, because uh, I'm going to be honest. I read the book that Bishop gave me. I've read like the past three weeks, I've read like six books on this. And I can kind of see a little bit of everything, right? I can see like, okay, I can see this coming out. And like some stuff, I'm just like, no, man, that, that's straight up heresy. But um, I... You know, I can kind of see a little bit. I don't have a, a view, except the only view that I have is that if I come to this humbly and, and with, with, with a really meek approach at Revelations, then I know when those signs come, I'll know they're here. And if the signs have already happened, I'll know they've already happened. What's crazy is some of these signs have already happened. I'm not going to be getting into that today, but you can search, and they're there. We are in the time of the eighth beast, which is not today. That's, that's later, but... Um, I want to read to you a uh, a couple of things, and then we'll we'll jump into the scripture. Um, Eschatology, the study of the book of end times, is something that many in the church find too mysterious or complicated to read. We should have no fear when approaching such a word because it is the word of God. To put it into perspective, because Israel was not meek in their study of the prophets in the Old Testament, they completely misinterpreted the coming of, of their Savior and crucified him. Revelation is similar in that we should seek to humbly come before the scriptures to study their meaning and allow the Holy Spirit to reveal to us when his word is fulfilled. 
But if we are not living his word, how can we know when it has come to pass? Issues arise when we begin to claim we have the map of the future and we ultimately repeat Israel's mistake and miss the coming of Christ. All right, so I'm going to give you guys a rundown of where we're at right now. And this rundown is, is, is short, and it, it'll still sound kind of weird and confusing. Um, and I think it's in the outline there, so you guys should have it. So far in this study, we have looked at what John has seen in Revelation chapter 1, what is now, which is the seven churches in Revelation chapters, chapters 2 and 3, and we are currently looking at what will take place, Revelations chapter 4 through 22. What we've seen so far is that John is brought up into the throne of heaven where limitless praise is poured out to God. That's in chapter 4. There, a scroll sealed with seven seals that the Lamb holds and is showered with praise. That's chapter 5. The Lamb begins to open the seals. He opens the first seal, conquest ensues. The second seal, peace is taken. Men slay each other. The third seal, there are, <clears throat> there are increased scales or financial burden. The fourth seal, death is given to a fourth of the earth. The fifth seal, martyrs cry out for God to avenge, and they are told to wait. The sixth seal, there are earthquakes, the sun goes black, moon goes red, stars fall, and mountains and islands are completely removed, and that's all in chapter 6. Then before the seventh seal is opened, he seals 144,000 of the tribe of Israel, and we are given a picture of a multitude of all tribes and nations, too much to count, clothed in white Praising God. That's chapter 7. The seventh seal is opened. There is silence, and seven angels are handed seven trumpets. As six of the seven trumpets are sounded, various types of destruction happens all over the earth, and yet mankind refuses to repent of their sin. You'll see that in chapter 8 and 9. And we are now, just before the sound of the seventh trumpet, where John sees a mighty angel. If you guys can, turn to me, Revelations chapters 10, and we're going to read from there all the way through chapter 11. It's going to be a lot to read, so I want you guys to stick with me. And when you got it, say so. Oh, you guys are so quick. It's because that book's all the way at the end, right? All right. Chapter 10, starting in verse 1. Then I saw another mighty angel coming down from heaven. He was robed in a cloud with a rainbow. Actually, I'm reading the wrong version. Hold on. I'm going to start over with the New King James Version. Sorry. Um, all right, starting in verse 1 again with the right version. I saw still another mighty angel coming down from heaven clothed with a cloud, and a rainbow was on his head. His face was like the sun and his feet like pillars of fire. He had a little book in his hand, and he set his right foot on the sea and his left foot on the land and cried out with a loud voice as when a lion roars. When he cried out, seven thunders uttered their voices. Now when the seven thunders uttered their voices, I was about to write, but I heard a voice from heaven saying to me, seal up the things which the seven thunders uttered and do not write them. The angel whom I saw standing on the sea and on the land raised up his hand to heaven and swore by him who lives forever and ever who created heaven and the things that are in it, the earth and the things that are in it and the sea and the things that are in it, that there should be no, that there should be delay no longer. But in the days of the sounding of the seventh angel, when he is about to sound, the mystery of God would be finished as he declared to his servants 
the prophets. Then the voice which I had heard from heaven spoke to me again and said, Go take the little book which is open in the hand of the angel who stands on the sea and on the earth. So I went to the angel and said to him, Give me the little book. And he said to me, Take and eat it, and I will make your stomach bitter, but it will be as sweet as honey in your mouth. Then I took the little book out of the angel's hand and ate it, and it was as sweet as honey in my mouth, but when I had eaten it, my stomach became bitter. And he said to me, you must prophesy again about many peoples, nations, tongues, and kings. Now we're in chapter 11, verse 1. Then I was given a reed like a measuring rod, and the angel stood saying, rise and measure the temple of God, the altar, and those who worship there, but leave out the court which is outside the temple and do not measure it, for it has been given to the Gentiles, and they will tread the holy city underfoot for 42 months. And I will give power to my two witnesses, and they will prophesy 1,260 days clothed in sackcloth. They are, they are the two olive trees and the two lampstands standing before the God of the earth. And if anyone wants to harm them, fire proceeds from their mouth and devours their enemies. And if anyone wants to harm them, he must be killed in this manner. These have power to shut heaven so that no rain falls in the days of their prophecy. And they have power over waters to turn them to blood and to strike the earth with all plagues as often as they desire. When they finish their testimony, the beast that ascends out of the bottomless pit will make war against them, overcome them, and kill them. And their dead bodies will lie in the street of the great city, which spiritually is called Sodom and Egypt, where also our Lord was crucified. Then those from the peoples, tribes, tongues, and nations will see their dead bodies three and a half days and not allow their dead bodies to be put into graves. And those who dwell on the earth will rejoice over them, make merry, and send gifts to one another because these two prophets tormented those who dwell on the earth. Now after the three and a half days, the breath of life from God entered them and they stood on their feet and a great fear fell on those who saw them and they heard a loud voice from heaven saying to them, come up here. And they ascended to heaven in a cloud and their enemies saw them. In the same hour, there was a great earthquake and a tenth of the city fell. In the earthquake, 7,000 people were killed, and the rest were afraid and gave glory to the God of heaven. The second woe is past. Behold, the third woe is coming quickly. Then the seventh angel sounded, and there were loud voices in heaven saying, The kingdoms of this world have become the kingdoms of our Lord and of his Christ, and he shall reign forever and ever. And the 24 elders who sat before God on their thrones fell on their faces and worshiped God, saying, We give you thanks, O Lord God Almighty, the one who is and who was and who is to come, because you have taken your great power and reigned. The nations were angry, and your wrath has come in the time of the dead, that they should be judged, and that you should reward your servants, the prophets and the saints, and those who fear your name, small and great, and should destroy those who destroy the earth. They're like, yep, there we go. Then the temple of God was opened in heaven, and the ark of his covenant was seen in his temple, and there were lightnings, noises, thunderings, and earthquake, and great hail. All right. I know that was a lot, and you're probably thinking, like, dude, none of that made sense to me right now. And for those of you who have probably been in this study since the beginning and haven't missed one of, one of, the, um, one of the preachings, you're probably still like, that still makes no sense to me. My point 
Uh, my first point to you guys is it is not enough to see and know God's purpose. We must internalize all of his contents without delay. So starting in chapter 10, at 10, we see something. We see this mighty angel, right? And some commentaries will say this mighty angel describes pretty much Jesus, Christ our Lord, because we don't know any angel that roars like a lion. And there's all the couple of symbols there. So whether you take this to be a Christ or, or, or a mighty angel, the scene still applies. We see a couple of things. We see him um, robed in a cloud. So he's very majestic. We see a rainbow over his head, symbolizing promise. It's the face like a sun, legs like fiery pillars, speaking to how intense it is to be before someone like this. Does anyone ever like just, you know, especially in Florida on a hot day, you go outside and you just feel that heat on you? That's like nothing compared to the face like the sun and legs like fiery pillars. It is intense to be before his right foot on the sea and left on the land. This dude is just claiming territory. He's saying, this belongs to me, this belongs to me. I have dominion. Look at that. I got echoes too. It's amazing. You're going to hear this, this, uh, this preaching twice. And he roars like a lion. Has anyone ever seen, like, you can go on YouTube or Nat Geo, whatever it is that you watch, but, or, or I think Disney did a thing on this, too. Um, uh, have you ever seen a, like, heard a lion roar, like, in its natural habitat when it does it? It is like, yo, it scares everything around it. And when it does, when it roars, it's not roaring just because it's tired, it's just because it wants to roar. It's letting you know, this belongs to me. You stay away. These are my people. And anyone who's in here who is not a part of my tribe, you're about to have it. He is roaring like a lion. Then the next thing he does is he swears to the creator of everything that there will be no more delay. Which is, which is crazy to me, right? Because Bishop already touched on the seven seals. I don't even want to be around for when those seven seals are going. I'm like, yeah, I mean, when, I'm going to tell you, when he said increase taxes, I was, I'm done. No more. I don't want to be. Before you even open up seal number one, Lord, I don't know what it is, but take me pre-trib. <laughs> All right? Take me pre-trib. Like, I thought that was the end of the world right there, seven seals, Right? And then all of a sudden, these, these trumpets start going off. We're at, like, we've seen one through six already, and the, the world just seems like a place you don't even want to be in anymore, right? Like, this is like Armageddon, whatever you want. Like, it, it's just, I don't want to be here. And then he's like, oh, there's going to be no more delay. I'm like, whoa, wait a minute, wait a minute. What was all that stuff before? What do you mean there's going to be no more delay? I thought I was already in the middle of it. He says, no more delay. And, you know, I, I took a step back. I'm, I'm, you know, I like to think, how can I apply this in my life today? And uh, you know how many times uh, I've, been in, I've been in a tough time? Uh, you know, bank account was at zero for like two years. I know what it's like to live there. Um, 
And, you know, I'm thinking, you know, this is, this is, this is, I can't wait for this to end. It's a tough time. It's difficult and all this stuff. I mean, and, and I, just, I just remember, like, I'm coming to Christ around this time, and I'm finally getting my first real job. And I had, like, I had, I had left my old job, and I was trying to finish up school and trying to do all this stuff. And I said, you know what? I prayed. I know God is going to be there for me. I know he said that he was going to have something promised for me. I know I was going to have stuff lined up. So I was like, I'm going to leave my job so I can focus on getting school done. I swear that was the biggest mistake of my life sometimes. Like in the moment, I swear, like, like living, going through my last semester of college with negative. I mean, I was scared out of my mind, but I was told there was no delay. It is time to finish. And I have something promised for you at the end of it. I did. I, I jumped on that because it was God's word. I mean, it came. There was no delay. Right when, right when everything, I was scared out of my mind. That was the toughest time of my life. I actually thought like, yo, I'm not going to make it. I got my first job. They signed, they signed me on. I didn't even know there was a bonus. I found out afterwards. They never told me. It was a bonus for the exact amount that I owed. Now, I mean, I, that was amazing. I, like, at that point, I was like, that's God. Right? I'm, and people have had stories like that. But when Christ says there's no more delay, especially in this context, He's not joking. When you're searching the scriptures and you feel in your spirit and you're, you're, you're conversing with God, Holy Spirit, and you're, you're, you're literally seeking him and he's asking you to do something, he's not saying it with delay unless he literally puts a delay on it. But there is no delay with his word. Everything is going according to plan. So, he swears that there will be no more delay. And then right after that, it says, I'm going to have to close this one. I, I brought this because I was, I was reading it more of like a commentary. Um, and I brought it up here with me and it's going to mess me up now. Um, uh, right here. Now I'm lost. And in verse 5, and swore by him who lives forever and ever, who created heaven and the things that are in it, the earth and the things that are in it, and the sea that are things that are in it, there should be no more today. But in the days of the sounding of the seventh angel, when he is about to sound, the mystery of God would be finished, and he declared to his, that as he declared to his servants, the prophets, there will be no more delay. God will fulfill his promise. And this is something that we all have to understand. When we say God's going to fulfill his promise, God is going to be there. God is, you know, we say that all the time, and we, sometimes we say that to encourage each other. But in the case of this promise here, this promise includes wrath. Now, again, whatever your opinion on, you know, whatever your opinion is on where we'll be, whether it's pre-wrath or you'll still be here during the wrath, and, I, you know, I can, I can give you points on each side to make you feel better that you won't be here pre-wrath, right? Or, you know, I think I, 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 coming across and doing the study, I actually came across someone that says, like, there, there are the three types of Christians. There's the pre-trib who says, like, you know, I trust God. He won't, you know, he won't, he won't, <clears throat> he will take me before all this wrath comes. Then there's, like, the mid-tribs who says, you know, I'm so good with God that even if I'm in the middle of it, I'm going to be good. And then there's the post-trib that says, I can endure everything, right? Like, there's these three, but there's three outlooks on it. I'm going to tell you, it doesn't really matter whether 
or not that it is, but like God says that we're going to be persecuted just for being Christian, just for following his word. So whether you're here in the wrath, pre-wrath, be ready for it. Right? Why can't we just be ready for it? I'm not saying expect it or anything like that. I'm just saying if you guys know the signs, if you guys are studied up, if you guys know what these signs look like, and all of a sudden you see the sign for here comes the wrath, and you're still here, you're like, well, at least I know exactly what his word says. And if you get caught up pre-wrath, at least you don't have to experience it. But why not be ready? So, his promise will be fulfilled, and this includes his wrath, which can be pretty scary. Then, right after this, this is the craziest thing, and uh, I, this is the last thing. When I, when I first read this, like the very, very first time, I'm like, yo, you know, and let me tell you a little story. Uh, when I was trying to figure out whether or not I should be Christian, like I, before I jump into John eating this little scroll, which is the weirdest thing ever. But, and it's funny how it says little. Like, it says little. Like, it just, like, but it doesn't mean, like, the scroll, like, what, what it contains is little. It just, it's a little scroll because John's going to eat it. I don't know. I thought it was weird. But when I was first coming to, to the Christianity, I was, like, very, very anti-religion, right? And I had read uh, the Quran. I read the Bible. I read what Scientology has. I studied science. I, I looked for everything. I needed some logical, definitive proof that this was the right way or the wrong way. Man, I read it all. And the first time I came to Revelation and, you know, someone told me I made a mistake um, as a scientist. Uh, when I picked up the Bible for the first time, I started in Genesis. And they're like, no, as a scientist, you can't do that. I was like, you know how crazy Genesis is? You're going like, to be turned off after chapter one. I was turned off after chapter one, I'll tell you that. Like, I read chapter one, and I'm like, all right, you know what? Makes no sense. But I kept going because I said I wanted to give every religion a chance. So I read the whole thing. When I got to Revelation, man, first thing, and, and you know, first thing I said was, John is smoking. <laughs> like, this dude is on the island of Patmos. He got stranded there. He found a palm tree and just, you know, he made that happen because this, this makes no sense. Like, it is out of the blue. I was like, there's no way this makes any logical sense. There's no way anyone can believe this book because the beginning makes no sense and the end absolutely makes no sense. But then you go and read the prophecies of Daniel, of Ezekiel, Jeremiah, and all of these guys definitively, historically, we have archaeological proof of when these things were written. Even atheists will tell you, yes, those things were written when they were written. They say stuff that John writes about. Now, you would think, okay, well, John is also in the future. He probably has these writings or whatever. No, man, the dude is on the island of Patmos with nothing. And I don't know. I mean, I've read the prophecies of Daniel and all these other prophets, and I can't remember. I have to go back and read it like 10 times, and I still can't remember it exactly to the detail. And this dude is on the island of Patmos with no food. It's hot, and I'm, I'm, I'm sure this dude is just tired. He's writing these things. And I, when I came to that realization, which did not happen right away, it happened much later, after fighting with uh, a theologian who was like, have you even looked into the history of this? When I got to that point and I really studied the history of it, I was like, oh, this book is crazy. Like this, if this is real, this is crazy. 
and I could not find a way to unravel it. There's like, I could not find a way like, for John to cheat and write this book. So I say that because John talks about something super important here. He eats this little book, this little scroll. And in verse 8, it reads, Then the voice which I heard from the heaven spoke to me again, Go take the little book which is open in the hand of the angel who stands on the, who stands on the sea and on the earth. So I went and I took the book, and he said to me, Take, eat it, and it will make your stomach bitter, but it will be as sweet as honey in your mouth. Then in verse 10 and 11, John eats it. And he's like, yeah, it tastes like honey. It makes my stomach bitter. And it's crazy. Remember, he says there's no delay, so there's no time to write this down. What does he do? He immediately internalizes it. He immediately internalizes it. Quick, quick little testimony in, in my life uh, about, and, and you know, I've, I've, I've talked to Bishop about this before. About two years ago, two and a half years ago, I felt inspired to pretty much quit what I was doing and start my own company. And I was like definitive, like that's exactly what I felt in my spirit. And after much prayer, there was a lot of agreement, right, among everyone who I'd spoke to. I waited on that for two and a half years before I made that jump. I, and there was no delay. It was very clear, like this is what I want you to do. And I was so scared that the finances wouldn't be there. And I'm the guy that says, I'll go wherever you go, whether the money's there, wherever you want to send me, God, whether the money's there, whether you want me to go to Africa and preach, whatever you want me to do, live in a jungle and reach people that haven't been, I'll do whatever you want. And then he's like, I want you to quit everything you're doing and I want you to start a company. And I was like, God, the finances aren't there. What are you talking about? Like, I didn't internalize that word. I didn't do that. I kept it out here. I knew the word was there. I knew exactly what he wanted me to do. I knew its purpose. I could see it. I could understand it, but I did not internalize it. You know why? Because it tasted like honey, but I knew once it hit my stomach, the amount of work it was going to do, how hard it was going to be, how tough it is going to be to go from ground zero and build something up when you know there's no money there and you got an idea that sounds so crazy that you don't even know if anyone's going to want to invest in this. Yo, that's bitter. There was no delay on that word, and I, I, I delayed. John does not write this down, and he takes the word, he eats it right away. The word of God in your life is sweet as honey. And he says it straight up. It's going to make your stomach bitter. But he is the way maker, the promise keeper. Internalize that word. God will not fail you. So if you're stuck, if we're stuck in this time of wrath, God will not fail you. When you're reaching out to your family members, when you're praying for them, when you're seeking God on the behalf of other people, God won't fail you. And sometimes life, man, like, I don't have to tell you this. Everyone in here knows this. Yo, life sucks. Like, life is so bitter, but we have his word to rely on. We know exactly what's coming. So he takes this word and it says, you must prophesy again about many peoples, nations, tongues, and kings. Yo, that right there, if you were re reading Revelation for the first time and you got to that point, you're like, yo, 
This is chapter 11. The world is already dead. It's already ended. What do you mean prophesy again? Like, I'm done with your prophecies. The world is over. Just come. So we get to the two witnesses, right? Chapter 11. And let me just, like, paraphrase these two witnesses. And this is my second point. And um, this is my second point. (laughs) Sorry, I'm like, I was like looking at it. I was like, in my head, I was like, I'm not slowing down. I'm sorry. I'm, I'm sorry. I'm not speeding up. That's what I meant. Point two. Bearing witness bears weight, but it is not a burden. Bearing witness bears weight, but it's not a burden. Now, let me tell you something about these witnesses. They're very, very important. This is end times, and I'm not saying you guys are these witnesses. These guys have very, very specific power. God has blessed them for a specific time as this. But let me tell you what example you see here, right? These witnesses are blessed. They have the ability to turn waters into blood, to strike the earth with a whole bunch of plagues. I mean, these guys are like super heroes. Like any, any of you guys love Marvel, you guys probably dream about being a superhero. These guys are it. I mean, God blessed them with the ability to say, oh, oh, you don't like me? Watch fire come out of my mouth and burn you. Oh, that nation cursed me? Oh, I'm going to curse your land with whatever plague I want. And they're around for 1,260 days. Yo, when you take that word in and you're excited about it, God gave you that word, you're real good, you feel like you got all the power, right? You're excited, you're ready to go, you're ready to be a witness. These witnesses get killed. Like, real quick. Like, that's what it felt like when you're reading this. You're like, oh, snap, man, I want to be one of these guys. I want to be one of the two witnesses, all this power. And all of a sudden, you get to verse 7, and then when they finish their testimony, they got killed. How many of you have a testimony and are willing to go to death for it? You all have a testimony. All of you do. How many of you are willing to go to death for it? Bishop, one of these days you're going to have to give me like a happy verse preaching. <laughs> I love this stuff, but that, like I was talking to Roly in, uh, in Marisol um, when we were uh, eating some bagels. They were like, you bringing the heat? I'm like, yeah, I'm bringing the heat. <laughs> uh, but how many of you are willing to go all the way to death? Because when you got that testimony, when you're excited, you feel invincible. But you're still going to get persecuted. And it's always sad to see someone so on fire lose encouragement. They get discouraged because all of a sudden it's like, yo, it's not the same anymore. I can't burn people with my fire. I can't send plagues. I, can't, I don't have all this power anymore. No one really cares you think anybody, when these guys are there, actually care? Yeah, they got all this power. Yo, that is the most discouraging thing, to have all this power. God bless you with this, all this amazing power, and you're, you're, you're there witnessing for 1,260 days, and nobody cares. Like, you would think, me preaching right now, and all of a sudden, fire came out of my mouth because I'm blessed by the glory of God, and all of a sudden, you guys would be like, oh, yes, there is a God, but the world doesn't care. Matter of fact, the Gentiles, right, the world is surrounding 
the symbol of God, the symbol of Christ, and they're just trampling all over it. And there are two witnesses there. How many of you guys are willing to take your testimony in a place where nobody cares? And let me be honest, let me just be very, very honest with you. And I pray for the world, and I pray they wake up. But to be honest, the world just does not care about your testimony. Because Satan is here to try and win this thing. And I'm not telling you to not share your testimony. Because there are those in the world who God has called out. And who are you to keep that word from them? But when the world stops caring, that's when you remember that you're not of the world. You're in it. So, these guys get killed. And you know what the world does? It celebrates. Church, my my time is up, but your time's not. (laughs) The world celebrates at the destruction of these two witnesses. And let me tell you, there there are those in, in my life and in your life who are probably waiting for you to fall on your face and recognize that God isn't God. They're waiting for that moment. And in your moment of weakness, that's exactly what they might do. They might say, see, all that church stuff, all that community stuff, all that fellowship stuff, all that great stuff, all that miracle stuff. Look where you're at now. You're in the same place that I'm at, on the ground. Dead. The only difference is you have a promise. So, (laughs) this is so messed up. They send gifts to one another. I mean, I just like, I I don't know exactly what this is going to look like. I'm not going to tell you exactly what the picture is like. Can you imagine these two people just dropping dead? And then all of a sudden, like, I just like, I go buy a TV and I give it to my neighbor. Like, yo, these two prophets died. I bought you a TV. Check it out. Like, they send gifts to one another. They celebrate in that manner. They bless each other at the death of the witnesses of God. And let's make it even worse. These guys didn't even get buried. They left the bodies there. They let it stand. They let the witnesses' bodies stand as a witness to the fact that God's dead. His witnesses are dead. They couldn't make it. See? God doesn't exist. Maybe, and a lot of people, like, I was reading so many commentaries on how this is exactly going to look like scientifically and all this stuff, how it could happen, blah, blah, blah. You know what? Maybe this is just completely mystical. Maybe these guys really do just breathe fire, right? Maybe this crazy stuff happens and people stand like, oh, snap, God is real. Maybe we go all the way back to the, the old times where Egypt recognized that there was a God of Israel, yet they were still not willing to worship them. Maybe the world recognizes here at this point that there is a God. There is a God. He does exist. He does have this power, but his witnesses died. So why would I serve that God? I'm not going to tell you exactly what this is going to look like in the future, but I will tell you one thing that happens in verse 11. They are resurrected. And let me tell you what the resurrection power of Christ, of God does. It sends fear into the world. You know what the resurrection of Jesus did? It sent fear into the hearts of man because, oh my goodness, there is a God and his promises are fulfilled. And now we are responsible for it. I will tell you, there were many Pharisees that recognized that, and they had two choices. They were like, whoa, well, I'm going to keep doing what I'm doing because this is where the money's at, and this is where I have control, this is where I have power, or I'm going to humble myself, go out to the street, and get beat up like Paul did. 
fear. The resurrection power will strike fear into the hearts of men. And when these guys are are resurrected, they're called up. Earthquakes happen. 7,000 people die. A tenth of all these cities in the earth fall. And the rest were afraid. And you know what's crazy? They gave glory to the God of heaven. The resurrection power of God for these two witnesses made these people give glory to the God of heaven. Do not diminuate the amazing resurrection power of God. You know what made me come to Christ? It's two things. The moment I realized I killed him, the moment I realized I put him on that cross because of my sin, and the moment I also realized that he was resurrected, that his death was not in vain. The resurrection power is something that we should not take lightly. And when you're giving your testimony, when you're telling people about Christ, that resurrection power has to be real. Because if Christ is not resurrected, then we do not have Christianity. We do not have a Bible. None of this makes any sense. Without Christ's resurrection, this does not work. So when it comes to giving your testimony, that resurrection power has to be there because if it's not, you can't bring these people. You can't make them realize that I have to put my flesh down and resurrect into a being that is worthy of Christ because Christ is what makes us worthy. So all that and the second woe is past. Time for the third woe. You guys ready? This is a cool woe. This one's cool. Then the seventh angel sounded, and there were loud voices in heaven saying, The kingdoms of this world have become the kingdoms of our Lord and of his Christ, and he shall reign forever and ever. And the 24 elders who sat before God on their thrones fell on their faces and worshiped God. Let me tell you, church, if we are stuck here during this time, if we're still here, Yo, I I am excited for that seventh trumpet. Can you imagine hearing that? Like you've been waiting for all these things to be fulfilled, and all of a sudden the seventh trumpet sounds, and a voice in heaven says, the kingdoms of this world have become the kingdoms of our Lord and of his Christ, and he shall reign forever and ever. Let me tell you, if you don't know these signs, if you're not read up, If you're not internalizing his word, when it tastes sweet in your mouth and bitter in your stomach, and you're not really living this, you will miss all of those signs. And the seventh trump is going to sound, you're going to hear this, and it won't make any sense. Church, I'm, I'm very serious when I say, don't look at this book as something you should be scared of. Don't look at this book as something that you should think is too complicated for you, that it only belongs to theologians and stuff like that. This word is for all of us. These signs are important. It's great for you to know because when that seventh trumpet sounds, I want you guys to be there worshiping with the elders. We give you thanks, O Lord, the one who is and who was and who is to come because you have taken your great power and reign. The nations were angry and your wrath has come. And the time of the dead, that they should be judged, 
and that you should reward your servants, the prophets and the saints, and those who fear your name, small and great, and should destroy those who destroy the earth. Then the temple of God, who was opened in heaven, and the ark of his covenant was seen in his temple. And there were lightnings, noises, thunderings, an earthquake, and great hail. My third point, guys. God is victorious, deserves our praise, and remains faithful. When God is victorious, we should give all glory to him because he will be victorious and he is the only one that can. There are many stories in the Bible where you see someone is seeking God and all of a sudden God comes through and they go out and they completely forget God. You see that with Jesus as well with a couple of people he healed. How many times, you know, has that happened where like something really great happens and you totally forget to give glory to God? God is in control of everything, right? We know that. Something great happened in your life? Praise God. Whether it was small, amazing, you know, your, your kid did a backflip and your dog finally, finally taught your dog how to sit. You know, like, those little things. Give glory to God. And those great things in your life that feel like they're life-ending, give glory to God. In everything, Christ reigns. That's what the elders are praying. In everything, Christ reigns. And all those little moments, those beautiful moments in your life, those simple moments when you get your first job or, you know, you finally buy your first car or whatever it is, those little moments and the good, the bad, when it tastes like honey, when your stomach feels like bitter, give glory to God because Christ reigns. He deserves all praise because he is victorious in every aspect of our lives. And he remains faithful. In verse 19, it reads, the temple of God was opened in heaven and the ark of his covenant was seen. Man, what is going to be like to see the culmination of scripture, everything. And the heavens open up and the ark of his covenant is seen. And there were lightnings, noises, thunderings, and earthquakes, and great hail. And then next week you'll learn about chapter 12. So let me summarize this and um, put a, a, a you know, not-so-confusing spin on it. All these mysteries and revelations, they're things that will be revealed, right? So whether you can understand it, whether you can wrap your mind around it or not, trust God, search the scriptures. Do not run away from this. Revelation is a part of our word, God's word. God is going to be victorious, no matter what. But if we're not in his word, if we're not internalizing his word, if we're not walking with him, with the Holy Spirit, when he shows up, we are going to miss it. And no one here should miss it. There's no excuses. And the third thing, he's always deserving of all praise. Wrath, bitter, honey, whatever it is, he deserves our praise. So I want to leave you guys with this question here. Um, and this is to make you feel like, you know, a little anxious a little bit, right? That's, that's kind of like what Revelation does to you. It makes you feel like the world is going to end. But um, God's promises, wrath and blessing, will be fulfilled. Are you ready? Whatever your viewpoint is on when we get caught up, are you ready? With that, 
I'm going to pray. And um, am I handling communion? Okay, cool. I had to check because that wasn't in my schedule. So, <laughs> no, no, I got it. I was already ready for it. I just needed to make sure. Dear Lord, I come before you right now, and I just thank you, Father. I ask that you inspire your church, that you motivate your church, that you encourage your church, Father, to come to your word, not just pieces of your word, not just sections of your word. Father, the entire word that came from you, Father, that we come to it with an open mind, an open spirit, and a humble heart, Father, seeking you, not anything else, not our opinions, not our desires, not our wants, not what we want to be fact. But, Father, we come to the Scriptures seeking you. Father, I ask that you keep your church. Father, let your kingdom reign because it will reign. Father, as we seek you, we also seek to do your work. So I ask that you inspire us and motivate us to do that work as tough as it may be. Because your work, Father, is not a burden. I pray all these things in your son's great name, Jesus Christ. Amen.